Father, we do ask that you would have your way in everyone in this room, everyone online right now, that you would have your way. We pray in Jesus' name that you would pour out your spirit in the giving and receiving of the word of God. We pray faith would rise up in greater measure in all of us because we've been here and have had ears open to you today. Pray in Jesus' name, amen. amen. Well, there's this guy. And he was uh, actually, he was an, an evangelist and a traveling faith healer from church to church. And one night he had a gathering in one particular church and he wanted to set up a certain way. So he wanted to make sure they had a big curtain up front on stage. And he walks in the room and there's a guy on crutches and he goes over to the guy on crutches and says, what's your name? He says, my name is Bob. He said, well, I want you to make your way up behind the curtain. So he crutched his way up behind the curtain then he talked to another man, his name was John, and John had a stuttering problem. He says, he says John, well, God's going to heal you too, John. Go ahead and go up behind the curtain. So now he's got Bob, who you know, can't walk without crutches, and John, who has a stuttering problem, behind the curtain. So then he prays, and then he, he, just, he just yells out with great drama, Bob, the Lord has healed you. Throw out those crutches. So one crutch comes over the curtain this way, another crutch comes over this way. Everybody applauds. And then he says, and John, right now the Lord's healing your stuttering, so go ahead and speak. So behind the curtain, John said, B -b 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 Bob fell down. <laughs> you know, there's uh, been a lot of phony and hokey stuff done in the name of healing. But what is the truth about it? Does God still heal today? You know, about 30 years ago, we had a little boy in our church die from leukemia. I held his little sick body in my arms asking God to heal him, and he died. Then I held his dead body in my arms and asked God to raise him from the dead, and he didn't. Shortly thereafter, a little girl in our congregation also died of leukemia. Once again, we prayed, we fasted, we believed, and she still died. So I was perplexed, I was disappointed, I was discouraged. It wasn't long after that that Tracy and I were in Turkey, the country of Turkey, doing some ministry, and we came by Israel because we had a team in Gaza Strip reaching out to Palestinians, and, and after meeting with our connection there, we went on to Jerusalem for a few days before we came home. And while in Jerusalem, we went to the Western Wall where millions of hours of prayer have occurred in front of that wall. And I put on a yarmulker, and, and I wrote down on a piece of paper a prayer request, and I thought, if I can only write down one prayer request and stick it in between those big stones on the western wall where millions of hours of prayer have gone up to God, what would I put in there? And I got a piece of paper and I simply wrote the words, where is the power? And I folded it up. I put it between those stones. Have you ever felt like the Bible seems to promise a lot more than it delivers? James chapter 5, verse 15 says, The elders 
praying for the sick, that the prayer of faith will heal the sick. Jesus said in John 14, 12, He who believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do. So are these verses true? Is the Bible true? Are we just not interpreting them correctly? Or is the problem perhaps with some of us? We become so rationalistic, so reasonable, so scientific that we really don't believe God will do any of this stuff anymore? Or has the church just in general gotten so worldly and so carnal that our stuff just gets in the way of God doing what the holy, a holy God wants to do? What is it? Well, I will tell you, though I have been perplexed over the years and admittedly knocked off my healing horse more than once, this morning I want to tell you why I believe that God still heals today. I want to give you nine biblical reasons why I believe God still heals today. So I want to walk through those with you, and I want to spend the next uh, few times in speaking to you about this subject as I really believe God wants to mount up faith in us to see more of the release of the kingdom of God among us. But I want to give you these nine biblical reasons why I believe God still heals today. Number one, number one reason is because of what I read in the Old Testament. When God led the enslaved Israelites out of Egypt under the leadership of Moses, he made a promise to them. Here's the promise. Exodus 15, verse 26. And he said, if... Notice the if, it's conditional. If you will give earnest heed to the voice of the Lord your God and do what is right in his sight and give ear to his commandments and keep all his statutes, I will put none of the diseases on you which I have put on the Egyptians. For I, the Lord, am your healer. So the God who never changes calls himself the healer, the healer of his people. Later on in the Old Testament, Elijah, the prophet, restores the life of the son of his hostess by repeated prayer in 1 Kings chapter 17. Following Elijah, Elisha comes on the scene, 2 Kings chapter 4, and raises the dead a dead child he had prophesied would be born, 2 Kings 4. Then Naaman, the commander of the Syrian army, was cleansed of his leprosy by the testimony of a Hebrew slave girl and the repeated washings prescribed by Elisha. Then we have the story of King Hezekiah. Remember King Hezekiah was in his bed laying there dying. Isaiah the prophet makes a house call. The house call to basically say in 2 Kings chapter 2, in chapter 20, he says to Hezekiah on his deathbed, he says to him, Thus says the Lord, set your house in order, for you shall die. You shall not recover. Isaiah finishes that word and walks out. During, as he's walking away, Hezekiah turns to the wall, cries out to God. God speaks to Isaiah and says this, he says in 2 Kings 20, verse 5 and 6, Turn back and say to Hezekiah, the prince of my people, Thus says the Lord, the God of David your father, I have heard your prayer. 
I've seen your tears. Behold, I will heal you. And I will add 15 years to your life. Also, as we're speaking of the prophet Isaiah in the Old Testament, he has given tremendous insight into the redemptive ministry of the Messiah, the Son of God. 700 years before Christ, Isaiah uttered an amazing prophecy in Isaiah chapter 53, of which a small part I want you to notice, verse 4 and 5. It says this, Surely he has borne our griefs, talking about what Jesus would do on the cross. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions, he was bruised for our iniquities. Upon him was a chastisement that made us whole, and by his stripes we are healed. So Christ's substitutionary atonement, his substitutionary death, he substitutes for you and me. He takes our place, dies a death that we deserve to die for our sin. He dies in our place. He substitutes for us. He atones for our sins. It's called a substitutionary atonement. He takes our sins, our shame, our guilt upon himself, absorbs the judgment due us. He absorbs it for us on the cross. That's a substitutionary atonement. Well, the atonement of Christ somehow is connected with the power, not only for the forgiveness of sins, but for physical healing as well. Now, this does not mean, as some Christians think, that all believers are already healed if they would just claim it. That's not what this says. The application of this verse really is mysterious and complex. I do believe that healing, physical healing, is in the atonement of Christ. Just like the power for the redemption of all falling creation. The power for the redemption of all of creation is ultimately that power comes from the atonement. So the question really is, not is there power in the atonement for physical healing. The question is, how do we access that power? And when... Will it be realized for each believer? See, the truth is all of God's gracious gifts, including healing, come to us because of Christ's sacrifice. He who did not withhold his only son, will he not freely give you all things? But the question is, how do we access all these gifts and how do we and when do we get them? See, if I go out to my driveway this afternoon and say, car, be washed. No, that's not going to get the car washed. Yet the power to wash that car is in me. But I need to know how to access that power. I need to know how to release that power to wash the car. I have the power. I need to know how to access the power. See, it's the same is true when someone just says, by his stripes, you're healed. Just saying that doesn't necessarily make it happen. There is power in the atonement for healing, but we need to know how to access that power. You know, certainly the reign of God over disease and death will one day be complete in the kingdom to come. His reign, when his reign, right now his reign has only come partially until he comes, Jesus comes again, and then the reign comes fully. 
See, right now we live in this tension of the, between the already and the not yet. Already the kingdom of God is available. Already we are citizens of the kingdom. Already we can taste the powers of the coming age. But it's only taste. The seven-course banquet, the fullness of the kingdom, comes when Jesus comes again. So already we have the kingdom, but not yet in fullness. This is an important uh, thing to remember when we read through the Gospels. The kingdom of God is here already, but not yet in fullness. And we live with this tension between the already and the not yet of the kingdom of God. Another passage from the Old Testament talks about God's healing is Psalm 103. Verse 2 through 6 says this, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget none of his benefits, who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good as long as you live, so that your youth may be renewed like the eagles. Some of you perhaps have heard the story of Dwayne Miller, who was a pastor and he had damage to his vocal cords to where he couldn't preach anymore. In fact, when he talked, it was like someone who has a severe, severe case of laryngitis. So he resigned from his pastorate. But eventually in his church, he began to teach a Sunday school with a microphone very close. And he would kind of, with this raspy laryngitis type whispering, he would still teach the Bible. And he was teaching this. By the way, you can go on YouTube and you can see it and listen to it, I mean. You know, as he's teaching on this passage I just read, Psalm 103, he heals all your diseases. As he's teaching this in a Sunday school class, explaining why that doesn't always happen. And in many ways, he's kind of explaining why God doesn't heal more than explaining why God might heal. In the midst of that, during speaking on that passage, God heals his voice and he starts speaking normally. And the whole class just breaks out, you know, in applause. It was, it's an awesome thing, but you can listen to that on, on your own. But the main thing I want you to understand, the first, my first reason, biblical reason for why I believe God still heals today is because of what the Old Testament teaches. My second reason, the second reason I believe God still heals today is because of what I read about Jesus. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 8 says that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, yes, and forever. And Jesus Christ of Nazareth is unequivocally the most celebrated and successful healer of all human history, no doubt. In fact, the proportion of the Gospels devoted to the healing ministry of Jesus is really quite striking. One-fifth, one-fifth, 20% of, the, of all four Gospels is devoted to Jesus' healing and the discussion that occasioned it and followed it. 41 distinct instances of physical and mental healing are recorded in the four Gospels, and this represents a small, very small part because there's many times where he healed whole crowds as they came to him. In fact, the Apostle John concludes his gospel with these words, John 21, 25. But there are also many other things which Jesus did were every one of them to be written. I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. So the healing ministry of Jesus really demonstrated the anticipation of the kingdom of God, that the kingdom of God was now here because the king is here. And the evidence is, is we see him bring his authority over his enemies. His enemies being demons and death and sickness. Now, it's actually interesting. Centuries before, Isaiah also prophesied that Messiah's ministry would include healing of the blind, the deaf, and the lame in Isaiah chapter 35, verse 5 and 6. In fact, Jesus alluded to that very passage when John the Baptist sent a messenger to him, when John the Baptist was in prison, 
He would soon be beheaded. After a nine-month ministry, things aren't happening like he expected they would with Jesus. And he's a little bit disillusioned, actually. So he sends a messenger to ask Jesus the question, are you the one or should we wait for another? And Jesus basically sends him the quote from Isaiah 35, the blind see and the deaf hear and the lame walk. That should be enough for you, John. Means the messianic ministry is underway. The relationship of Jesus' healing ministry and the kingdom of God is a consistent theme throughout all four Gospels. Essentially, the kingdom of God means the reign of God. The kingdom of God is the rule of God, it's the reign of God, it's the triumph over God's enemies. So when Jesus brings his kingdom to bear, he's bringing his rule to bear over demons and sickness and death itself. He's showing that, he, that he's got greater authority than his enemies. He's bringing to bear the power of the kingdom of God because he's the king. So the healing ministry of Jesus, the one who's the same yesterday, today, and forever, is another reason why I believe that God still heals today. But it, the healing ministry wasn't just reserved to Jesus because then he passes this on to the apostles, which is the third reason why I believe God still heals today. It's because of what I read about the apostles. Because we get to Acts chapter 3, and Peter and John heal a lame man. It's almost like they're simply continuing the ministry that Jesus began, which was the whole point. That ministry was going to be continued through the body of Christ, starting with the apostles. In fact, Luke, when he writes the book of Acts, which is kind of volume two, he writes the gospel of Luke. Acts is like volume two. He writes the book of Acts saying that in his gospel, he had recounted that Jesus, all Jesus began, important word, began to do and teach. The obvious implication is that the book of Acts now is going to be what Jesus continues to do and teach through the apostles and in the early church. So the ministry of Jesus was not to be a fading memory, but an ongoing reality. Amen. So the apostles weren't the only ones that moved on. We see in the New Testament also had a healing ministry. And that leads me to the fourth reason why I believe God still heals today. Because of what I read about the 70 followers of Christ, disciples, and also others. And not only the book of Acts, but in the epistles. Let's read this. Luke 10. Starting verse 1, now after this, the Lord appointed 70 others and sent them two and two ahead of him to every city and place where he himself was going to come. So then he gives them instructions what to do when they get these, these pairs, these, these two here and two there, what they do when they go to their different cities and towns. He gives them instruction. Part of the instruction is verse 9. He says, and heal those in it who are sick and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. And I believe the commissioning of the 70 to preach and to heal was really a foreshadowing of the church's ministry. It's supposed to continue on. Now in Acts, Peter, we got Peter and John and Paul and Barnabas, Stephen and Philip, a certain disciple named Ananias, are all performing miraculous healings. Also, we see in Corinth, when you read the letter to the Corinthians, they had, some had gifts of healings. And then you read the Galatian, you know, you know Galatian Christians knew that of this ongoing miracles were actually Paul appealed as that these ongoing miracles that they were seeing in Galatia actually were evidence of God's grace was active in their midst. Here's what it says, Galatians 3, 5. Does he then who provides you with the spirit and works miracles among you do it by the works of the law or by hearing with faith? 
Of course, by hearing with faith. And of course, the letter of James makes it clear that faithful prayer and anointing with oil were expected to facilitate healing through the elders of the church. James 5, 14 and 15, is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will restore the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, they will be forgiven him. So the early church in the first century, beyond the apostles, capital A apostles, beyond them, were experiencing God's supernatural healing. But there's more. Fifth reason why I believe God still heals today. Because of what I read in church history after the first century. Justin Martyr, one of the church fathers in the second century, he's writing in the second century, and he's speaking of the reception of gifts of healing, and he mentions Christians who were healing in the name of Jesus, that that was happening in the ministries that he was involved in. Also, Arrhenius, in the second century, in his work entitled Against Heresies, he says you can distinguish between, distinguish between a true Christian teacher and a false teacher by their ability to perform works of healing. Amen. Specific ones include, he would say, and he, he counted giving sight to the blind, giving hearing to the deaf, curing the weak, the lame, the paralytic, and the frequent raising of the dead. Furthermore, Arrhenius establishes the attestation of these works were also happening, where watchful, watchful pagans were seeing it, non-believers were being healed, and many people were coming to faith because of the, what they were seeing in these healings. Then we fast forward to the 400s, Augustine. 400s A.D., Augustine's theological genius dominated the West for a thousand years. Early in his ministry, in his writings, he didn't believe in divine healing. But later, in his epic work entitled City of God, I quote what he says. He says, once I realized how many miracles were occurring in our own day, and which were so like the miracles of old, and also how wrong it would be to allow the memory of these marvels of divine power to perish from among our people, it is only two years ago that the keeping of records was begun here in Hippo. And already at this writing, we have nearly 70 attested miracles. And then we fast forward to the Reformation, 1500s, Calvin, Luther. Calvin and Luther, Luther actually both believed early on that these gifts had been withdrawn from the church. They didn't exist anymore. But when Philip... Melanchthon, who was Luther's co-reformer, became seriously ill and was close to death in 1540. Martin Luther came and knelt down his bed and prayed for him to be healed. And then he wrote Psalm 118, verse 17 on the wall. He wrote, I shall not die, but I shall live and recount the deeds of the Lord. Amen. And instantly, Melanchthon condition visibly, physically and visibly improved, and he was healed and Martin Luther goes on to say that was one of the greatest things he's ever seen. So I believe that God still heals today because of what I see in the Old Testament, because of what I see in Jesus, because of what I see in the apostles, because of what I see in the early church, because of what I see throughout church history. But I have more reasons. Sixth reason why I believe God still heals today is that because it's because God's messengers still need to be authenticated. John 10, verse 37 to 38, Jesus says this, If I do the works of my Father, if, if I do not do the works of my Father, do not believe me. But if I do them, 
Though you do not believe me, believe the works that you may know and understand that the Father is in me and I in the Father. What he's saying is these works I'm doing authenticate me. That's what he's saying. John 14, 11. He says, believe me that I am in the Father and the Father in me. Otherwise, believe on account of the works themselves. Believe the works I do, Jesus says, they authenticate me. Now, if, I, want you to, I want to ask you a question. Think about this for a moment. If Jesus needed to be authenticated by the works of God, how much more do we? I mean, Jesus led a sinless life. He had perfect integrity. He spoke perfect truth, and he still needed to be authenticated by miracles. Yes, some today, and I had seminary professors who believe this, teach this, say that since we have the Bible, we don't need to be authenticated by miracles anymore. Well, let me ask you this question. Which is greater, the living word, Jesus Christ, or the written word, the Bible? Which is greater? I'd say the living word, the Lord Jesus, is greater. Well, if he needed miracles to authenticate his credibility, how, more does, how much more does the Bible need miracles to authenticate his credibility? Especially in countries where we're saying our book is right and your book is wrong. How about we let God authenticate which book is right? Show which one has the power. But what if you got a bunch of workers and missionaries on the front lines that really don't believe that anymore? And aren't expecting God to do anything more, then you got a problem. You know, I was I was in and out of China many, many times over a period of about twelve straight years. Usually usually every year, I was usually in two or three different cities in China. And one time I was tra- I was I, I was supposed to be picked up at the airport. There's two godly uh, Chinese pastors who trans- spoke perfect English and were my translators. Were, and uh, one of them was in another part of China. The other one was supposed to meet me at the airport. But that day, he heard, heard, got word that his mother died. She lived in another country. He had to fly out. So I had, I had someone meet me. They assigned a, a, a group of, to meet with me. There was one uh, Chinese girl that spoke good English. And she was going to be my translator. And I didn't know any of them, and none of them knew me. And they, and they whisk me off out of the airplane, off into a bus. We get on a bus. We get off at a bus stop. A van pulls up. They get my luggage. They whisk me off to the mountains and, and into the dark of night. And I'm, and, I'm put, and, I'm, and I'm hidden away and put into the building. And now I'm in a place where nobody knows who I am. No one has met me. And there's about 70, you know, pastors there. And they had a bad experience with the last speaker that came through. And... The question probably in their minds is, why should we listen to you? I had no one going before me. I had no sponsor. I had nobody could give me credibility. And so I just prayed. I said, Lord, you're going to have to authenticate me. I don't see any other way, Lord. And so I started teaching the book of Acts. And after a few sessions, a few pastors came up to me and said, are you going to lay hands on and pray for us? Well, one of the other lead pastors overheard them speaking to me. And, and this is all in Chinese, but I'm getting through a translator. And he walks up to me. He's a leader of 300 house churches. He walks up to me and says, before you lay hands on anyone, I want you laying hands on me in a private room, and then I'll decide what happens next. I said, okay. And I said, here we go, Lord. 
I mean, you're either going to authenticate me or not. Here we go. So we go in a room, and he just kneels. Kneels down in prayer position, and I think, I guess I'm on. <laughs> and so I put my hand on his head, and I just said, Lord Jesus, you have all power and authority in heaven and earth. Would you pour out your spirit right now? And I just waited. And then I didn't go into any trance. I just, it just occurred to me what he just went through. And so I started praying out what he just went through. Then it occurred to me what was even on his mind. I started praying what was on his mind. It occurred to me a challenge he's about to face, and I prayed about that. And then he began to weep. And then he, then he got up, he wiped the tears away, and he says, I'll take care of organizing everybody. I'll schedule everybody to come line up and get prayed for. And so he goes ahead and he starts organizing. So the next, the next pastor that comes in, and understand that about two-thirds of the pastors in China are women. So in every meeting I ever did in China, two-thirds of them were women. And so I had that kind of picture. So I got men and women pastors coming in. And the next pastor that comes in is a woman. And uh, I'm praying for her. And as I'm praying for her, I just have this thought. This occurs to me that she's, she needs to be healed from something. And I thought, what? And I, you know, it seems to me like she's got a real back problem. So I just asked her through a translator. She said, yes, I've had back pain for 20 years. I've not been able to sleep a night in 20 years without, without agonizing pain. I said, may I put my hand on your back and pray for you? She says, yes. So I put my hand on her back and I pray, real simple prayer. And then I just pull off and say, what, anything, feel anything? She says, it's all better. Now, here's the deal. She, she goes out. Not only does she, the next few nights of the conference, she has perfect sleep and no more pain, and she's telling everybody about this. But she goes out and starts telling the other people that God just healed her. Well, the next two pastors that come in, I pray for them, God heals them. So they go out and tell everybody. Now, understand, this, this meeting is supposed to be under the radar. So now what they're doing is they're going out and telling people, and now people from the villages are coming. So now I've already got a full room, and people are trying to get in the doors and looking through the windows. So now I'm praying for people, and uh, they're lining up by the doorway. In fact, every morning I got up at 5 o'clock, and there were people lined up at the door waiting for me to wake up. And now the pastor actually, so he stands outside the door, and he says, uh, after, after I pray for somebody, they walk out, and he grabs him and says, if, if, if Jesus healed you, you can't tell anyone. He said, we, we can't have any more people coming to this meeting. I thought, well, that's the first in my life to ever experience something like that. But I just believe that God wants to authenticate his messengers. I think we got, but we got to believe him for it. Believe him for it and step out. I think even the testimony we just had, you know, uh, of praying for a woman, that uh, praying for a shoulder, and that, you had to step out those kinds of times. We've got to step out and believe God and see what God will do. It still takes faith. It still takes faith. All right, the seventh reason why I believe God still heals today is because healing miracles open doors for evangelism, and we need open doors for evangelism. Acts chapter 9, verse 32 through 43, Peter actually does two things. He heals a paralyzed man, and then later in the chapter, he raises Tabitha from the dead. And here's the two responses of those two miracles. Acts 9, 35 says, And all who lived in Lydda and Sharon saw him, and they turned to the Lord. So all those who saw the healed man were actually turned to the Lord. It's effective evangelism, a result of a healing. Acts 9, 42, And it became known all over... Joppa and many believed in the Lord. What became known was Tabitha was raised from the dead. Now people are coming to Christ. So miracles cause mass evangelism. So if you're for evangelism, you ought to be for healing. Because it does give it power. It gives us credence. It draws, it draws a crowd. And, and it really it brings people uh, to really want to hear 
more and hear the gospel. Uh, our, we have missionaries, you know, overseas workers all over the world. They just, I just believe that they just need to start, you know, believing and praying and asking God to do more. I think God is ready to do so much more if we'll ask him. Some of you know the story of Ralph Bethea, a Baptist missionary to Kenya, and he was, he was, he was trying to lead someone to Christ, I've, you know, and he's among the Muslim part of Kenya, and he's totally ineffective, and he's so frustrated. And one day, he's standing on a bridge. People, people are walking across this bridge, just hordes of people, and he stands up on the side of, of, the, of the railing of the bridge, and he starts trying to preach to them, and no one's listening to them, so he jumps off the bridge. I mean, a long way down, lands on the water, breaks ribs. They all, a bunch of people run down there and go, what did you do that for? And he, said, he thought, well, now I got their attention. He says, well, and he starts to preach to them. They said, no, no, we think you're crazy. Whatever you got, we don't want it. So he realized he's going to have to have a different approach. So he goes to a mosque, and outside a mosque is a woman in a burqa, and she's holding her daughter, and her daughter's lame. Her, her, her lifeless legs just hanging there. He's holding this little girl, and he, she's holding this little girl. And he walks up to her and says, may I pray for your daughter that Jesus will heal her? And she says, yes. So he prays. Nothing happens. He prays again earnestly. Nothing happens. And the woman just turns away and walks away. And as she's walking away, her daughter's looking over her shoulder at Ralph Bethea, looking at him as he's walking away. And he sees those, he's looking at his eyes saying, Lord, he says, when I look in those eyes, I'm seeing, I'm seeing millions Millions of Muslims that need to know you, the true God. Millions that need to see the power. Lord, you've got to heal her. This earnestness comes out as he sees this girl's face. And all of a sudden, this girl's leg goes, whoop. That leg goes, whoop. Her legs start to get strong. And the mother, the mother's never felt this before. And the daughter's kicking. She's never felt that before. And so she takes her and sees her legs kick. And she says, puts her down. And the daughter walks for the first time. Now, the result of that miracle is 250,000 converts over the next seven years in Mombasa, along with much persecution and difficulty. Many of you know Stephen Jean Waters, who we've been connected to for almost 30 years. They did a great work in the Himalaya region, great ministry, Bible translation. And Steve Waters grew up on the mission field. His father was also a Bible translator in the Himalayas. And Steve recounts a story when, as a teenager, 13 or 14-year-old, after they finished the, the, the translation of much of, of the Bible in the calm language, he said he, he witnessed something that was just amazing. He said every night they would take the scriptures and read them out loud to the village, and people would come, and they'd bring sick people on pallets. And any time they got somewhere, someone close enough to hear the word, they got healed and pick up their pallet. He said, I, I, said, I saw that with my own eyes. Time and time and time again. And so it, and the result of all this is, is most of the village came to Christ. So it brings about a tremendous evangelization, open doors for evangelism. Let me give you my eighth reason why I believe God still heals today. And that is because it brings glory to God. John 11, remember, Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. Remember what Jesus says to Lazarus' sister, Lazarus, his good friend whom he loves. He says to his, her, his sister, John eleven forty. he said, Did I not say to you, if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So why was Lazarus raised from the dead? To glorify God, that's why. 
By the way, it's important just to note in here that Lazarus loved Jesus and Jesus loved Lazarus and Jesus and Lazarus still got sick and died. You can love Jesus and Jesus loves you and you still can't get sick. Keep that in mind. But in this case, a miracle brought Lazarus back from the dead and it brought much glory to God. Some of you know John and Helen Decker, been part of our church family for many years. They, they served with the Donnie people, brought the translation, the word of God to them. Thousands of them came to Christ. And one time, John tells me the story, one time he was baptizing just a long line of people in a river. They're just lined up, and he's baptizing one after another, you know, because he's got a long line. He's just baptizing them. And this one of them was a blind man, and he knew him. John knew him, but John baptizes him, moves on. Another man baptized, keeps moving. But then he's getting ready to baptize another guy, and there's all this commotion over here. He's wondering what's going on. And so he walks over and says, what's going on? Because it was like distracting the service. He goes over, and the blind man who has some term, for, I can't remember what John said, he called him some real affectionate term, but he said, he, says, he said, John, I can see. I can see. So he goes, comes, goes into the waters blind, comes out of the waters seeing. And it brings much glory to God. You know, my first trip to Pakistan, it was, it was kind of a, it's a long story, but I'll tell you, it's basically reminds some of you that already heard, but those of you who hadn't heard it, that when I was, uh, we're, we're, we're kind of, we're going through the book of Acts with all these Pakistani pastors, I had about 220 leaders there in a tent meeting. And we're building up to the, have, we're going to have a special impartation service, but also a time of healing. And then before the, before the healing service, I got sick. So I'm like, Lord, I don't understand all this. And, but I, I, the Lord's really clear. I'm supposed to pray for the host pastor, and he's going to, take, he's going to do the meeting. So I called the host pastor in and, and, uh, to, my, to my bedroom and, and to, to pray for him. He brought some other young pastors with him. And I said, the Lord, I think the Lord wants you to pray for you, and you're supposed to lead a meeting, not me. And he smiled. He said, I just had a dream about that last night. <laughs> so, all right, I, he said, I saw all this in a dream. So I, I lay hands on him, pray for him, and then I leave. But the whole time after I'm left, I'm really concerned about how it's going on in the meeting. And uh, so I, we call back there, and they say, we have never seen power like we've seen tonight. God was healing people and delivering people. By the way, I told this story first service, and uh, one of the guys, Jim, was online, and, and there's a Pakistani pastor online first service, and he, said, and, he write, and he says online, he says, he says, this is true, I was there. <clears throat> Praise God. Let me give you the ninth reason why I believe God still, God still heals today, and that's because Jesus has compassion for people. Amen. You know, I list this reason last, but it might be my number one reason why I believe God still heals today, because Jesus still has compassion today. Matthew 14, 14 says this, and when he went ashore, talking about Christ, when he went ashore, he saw a great multitude and felt compassion for them and healed the sick. Why did he heal the sick? Because he felt compassion for them. Mark 1, 40 and 42, and a leper came to him, beseeching him and falling on his knees before him and saying to him, if you are willing, you can make me clean. And moved with compassion, he stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I am willing, be cleansed. And immediately the leprosy left him and he was cleansed. So here's my question. If Jesus isn't healing anymore today, then what I want to know is where did the compassion go? Does he not have compassion anymore? Does he just see the sick people and not care anymore? 
Where's Jesus gone today? Does he still feel compassion? And the answer is, of course he does. Of course he does. That's why God still heals today, because Jesus still feels compassion today. His word is true. And again, I will admit to you, I have been perplexed. I have been discouraged. I have been knocked off my healing horse on several occasions. But I believe with all my heart that if we'll persevere and keep believing, we're going to see God do things that we're going to marvel in the days to come. We're going to have a special service uh, this evening, 5 to 6.30, right here, where we don't have to rest. We don't have to make sure people are done at a certain time to pick their kids up. But we can just have times of worship and just hear from the Lord prophetically, but also pray for anyone who needs healing tonight. We want to pray for you. I believe God is going to heal people tonight. And so I encourage you to come 5 p.m. today, and let's see what God will do. We come believing, we come expecting. Let's see what he'll do. But here's what I want to do as we close right now. I'd like to invite you to stand up. I'm going to close in prayer. Now I'd like to just invite you just to close your eyes for just a moment. And not think about what's coming next or anything. Just, just focus now on Jesus. I, encourage, I just want to invite you to open your spirit now to the Son of God, because He's here right now. We're gathered in His name. He's here right now. He's here. So open your spirit to Him. And we're going to ask Him to release His compassion right now. We're asking Him to release His healing power. So, Lord Jesus, you're here, and we're asking you, Lord, would you release your kingdom? power now? Would you release your compassion and touch people's bodies? People's bodies who perhaps are in pain. Would you touch them? I want to invite all of you to put your hands out too. The palms up like you're receiving a gift. Put your palms, just hold them out there. Lord, would you, would you grant gifts of healing among your people, would you grant them, Jesus? Grant gifts of healings. Would you grant even authority now over disease and demons? Real no-so authority. Let it come, Lord. Come, Holy Spirit. Let your kingdom come, Lord. Let your kingdom come. It's an easy thing for you to do, Lord. We're asking. We're asking. Release, release gifts of healing now, Lord. Now, some of you... You can't, if you came here with pain in your body right now, and you have pain in your body somewhere, just step out in the aisle right now. Just step out in the aisle. We're going to ask God to heal you in a second. Step out in the aisle. You got some pain in your body. Step out in the aisle. Step out there. Anybody else? Now, some of you have your hands out, and you're feeling something. You're feeling, you're feeling some like electricity or tingling or, or just 
or just numbness, but you're feeling something. There's some weight on your hands right now. Some of you feel it right now. God's, God's putting that on you right now. If that's you, I want you to just step out in the aisle with these who have pain or body. Just put your hand on their shoulders. So those of you that feel that, step out. Go ahead and step out. You're, many of you are feeling it. Step out. Just put your hands on them. And just, just pray simple prayers. Be healed in Jesus' name. Simple prayers. Right now. Let's just do this right now. Anyone else? Just step out and pray for those in, in the aisles. Look around. Let your kingdom come, Lord. Let your kingdom come. And I'm speaking over everyone right now. In Jesus' name, be healed. In the name of Jesus of Nazareth, who's all power and authority in his name, be healed. Some of you that are feeling pain in your body right now, if you're feeling, you're feeling something happening, if that's you, raise your hand. You're feeling pain, praise God, praise God. Other ones, praise God. You're feeling something happen right now. Anyone else? Praise God. Thank you, Lord. We pray, Lord, you bring now this complete healing in all these lives. And we pray for your anointing, Lord, even today. If, the service and in our future services, we ask for an increased outpouring of Holy Spirit power for your glory and honor. For your glory and honor, Lord. And for many people to come to know you. And that you'd authenticate your messengers around the world in increasing ways in these days in which we're living. As you're shaking things and people are becoming insecure and afraid, Lord, that the people of God would mount up in these days and walk in courage and faith. And this will be the church's greatest hour, Lord. As more and more of the years to come, there will be panic in this world that, Lord, it will, there would not be panic in the church. But let us walk closer and closer to you and see your kingdom come. In the name of Jesus. And before I dismiss, go ahead and give a hug to the person you're praying for. We're going to have connection coffee here for anyone who has questions in the back corner, but also this welcome corner of your first Sunday here, I'd love to meet you. And this is Grace Cafe Sunday. So go across the parking lot and get, a, get lunch and do some fellowship and hope you can come back at 5 o'clock. God bless you. You're dismissed.